0: baseball isn't just numbers 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 this game is not being played on computers you don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks you don't put a team together with a computer Pew. we're talking weighted runs created plus expected wOBA, sweet
1: spot rate defensive runs above average average exit velocity barrel rate xfip BABIP, s-i-e-r-a we are above replacement radio, radio. And welcome to About the Placement Radio, where we're talking baseball, kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Rianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel?
0: Chris, I'm doing very well today. It's been a long time. It feels like since the last show, the holidays have come and gone. Uh, this is the last day of 2023, um, which was a pretty big year for both of us, I would say, personally. But uh, it's it's been another fun year on this show. Another, It was another fun season to cover. Uh, and i'm glad to be back off this little three-week hiatus that we had
1: yeah it is always exciting to come back after a little a little bit of time off you know whether it be you know usually it's unintentional usually just stuff gets in the way so Mm -hmm. it's always good to just you know your things seem back in order when you're when you're getting back on the podcast and whatnot so very fun to be back um a lot has happened a lot has transpired um, over the past few weeks, maybe a little less than expected. The market is a little bit slower than, um, definitely, than definitely was last year. If if we went on a three week hiatus last year, we would have had, you know, 12, 12 nine figure uh signings to be talking about. But, yep. uh, right now we just have, um, you know, a couple big deals, but not too many. And the headliner of them all was Yoshinobu Yamamoto being signed by the los angeles dodgers for 12 years 325 million dollars along with a 50 million dollar signing bonus uh what did you think about this deal going down
0: yeah i mean this was uh definitely i feel like it came more as a shock to a lot of baseball fans because you know when otani signed with the dodgers a lot of the reaction was yeah of course he was gonna go there it makes sense when yamamoto went people started to you know breaking down like okay this is this is insane Right, they're, they're paying 700 million for otani they're paying 325 million for yamamoto the most the highest pitcher contract in the history of baseball uh and the guy hasn't even thrown a pitch in major league baseball yet but um it's a really exciting uh, signing i mean i think he's going to be uh among like outside of Otani he's gonna get a lot of attention and some of the most attention in spring training next year uh if anything he'll probably get more attention you know in terms of his spring training performance than anyone else next year and for good reason because this guy this guy is awesome I mean he he won the uh the Japanese equivalent of a Cy Young for the last three seasons won three in 193 and two-thirds innings pitched in 2021, a 168 ERA in 193 innings pitched in 2022, and a 116 ERA in 171 innings this year. Um, I think Yoshinobu Yamamoto automatically is a top-ten pitcher in Major League Baseball right now. It's obviously hard to prove statistically because he hasn't faced a lot of Major League hitting, but I'm really exciting, excited for this signing. I'm excited that he's going to be with Otani uh, and that the Dodgers have a have an ace at the top of that rotation.
1: yes. Uh, it's it's very exciting. And I think there's definitely an argument to be laid out that this, you know, along with you know cu- coupling with the Tyler Glassnow deal, um, but even just the Yamamoto deal on its own, could be more impo- impactful to the 2024 Dodgers roster than Shohei Otani signing because obviously you know Otani is limited to half of his workload uh, this year you know, with, you know, having Tommy John surgery and all and not being able to pitch. So, you know, watching last year's playoffs, it was, it was extremely clear that the Dodgers biggest weakness was starting pitching. You know, they had Clayton Kershaw go out there game one, who, um, you know, peripherally didn't look as good. And he got, you know, whacked around by the Diamondbacks. And then Bobby Miller came out, didn't have a great performance. Lance Lynn was out there with his, you know, upper five ZRA, didn't have a good performance. Now you can push all those guys back. And I know Clayton Kershaw is not not healthy right now. But, you know, with... And I guess this goes along with the Tyler Glass now trade as well, but... Now Walker Bueller doesn't have to walk in and be your number 1 starter. He doesn't have that pressure coming off Tommy John surgery and being the Dodgers ace. You know, the the NL West favorite's ace. Now he can be your number 3. Now Bobby Miller doesn't have to be a front end of the rotation guy. Now he's, you know, more back end, doesn't have to be relied upon that much. And Emmett Sheehan, you know, if he ends up being in the rotation, he doesn't have to be middle of the rotation. He doesn't have to be, you know, hypothetically, the Dodgers' You know, one of the Dodgers starters in the playoffs, if it, you know, simulated that way and he ended up being that way, you know, he could be a number five guy and then go into the bullpen uh, when when the Dodgers, you know, eventually go to the playoffs. So I think this just puts a little bit of relief on the rest of the roster. Um, And that's why I think that the Yamamoto deal could for just 2024 could be more impactful than the Shohei Otani signing.
0: Yeah, I want to go into uh some of the projections that Fangraphs has given him. Uh, Steamer has him pitching 184 innings, uh, having a 3.97 ERA and a 3.95 FIP, uh, for a 3.4 Fangraphs wins above replacement. To me, that feels like his floor. To be completely honest, I think uh Yamamoto it could be a four to five, maybe even six win pitcher, uh, pretty consistently in Major League Baseball, and if you know, if 3.4 is, like, a projection just coming out of Japan, understanding that there is some sort of transition that needs to happen between facing Japanese hitters to facing MLB hitters, uh, 3.4 is still a very solid effort for only 184 innings.
1: Right, right. And it, it's it's interesting to hear that considering, like, I don't think there's really been that much, that steep of a bridge. Yeah, and to be fair, I,
0: I honestly think that there are, they're kind of overselling his home runs they have him giving up 1.3 home runs per nine uh and he gave up uh let's see how many home runs 15 home runs in the last three seasons in Japan and I understand that you know the, the approach in Japan is different but that's a very high uh increase
1: yeah it, it
0: one point three five
1: it's interesting and and like uh to compare that projection to some of the more higher you know some of the more high profile uh, starting pitchers that have come out of Japan um you know Yu Darvish his rookie year he had a 3.90 ERA but a 3.29 FIP and then Masahiro Tanaka um, had great success when he came over as a 25 year old um, he had a 2.77 ERA and a 3.04 FIP in uh, 136 innings pitched in his rookie year so it's interesting to see considering the industry industry consensus around Yamamoto it's interesting to see that you know, they see him sort of, you know, having a a little bit of a bridge year.
0: Even just going with a more recent example, look at Kodai Senga. He, you know, in his, in 2022, uh, he gave up 0.4 home runs per nine in Japan, and he gave up 0.92 home runs per nine in America. So, you know, sure, like maybe there'll be an increase, but going from like 0.1 home runs per nine over a three-year span to 1.35, I think is quite extreme, and that's also going to, you know, uh, have a have a big impact on his FIP on his, his F4 uh, on some of the more uh advanced metrics and I think is going to tell a lot of the story of how he's going to be in his rookie year
1: yeah for sure for sure what were the ERA and FIP numbers again that they were projecting
0: Uh, three like high threes
1: yeah that's pretty interesting Um, we'll see about it though you know it's it's not a guarantee that it's going to be an instant success however like you know They don't just hand out $325 million contracts to anybody, and they don't hand out $27 million a year to anybody.
0: To understand how good this guy is, Fangraphs gives him a 60-grade fastball, um, a 45 to uh, 55-grade slider, which means it's 45 now, but it has potential to get up to 55. A 60-grade curveball, a 70-grade splitter, which splitters are very rare in in Major League Baseball, not as rare as they are in Japan. So to have a 70-grade like, Johan Duran, I would imagine, is the closest thing we have in Major League Baseball to a 70-grade splitter. um, Or Kevin Gosman, one of yeah, those two. Um, so, the fact that he's a 70 is quite extreme. And then how about an 80-grade for command? Like, an 80-grade for command, that's as high as you can get. And they don't give 80s very often. Like, they give it to one or two people in each category a year, if that. So... This guy is supposed to be legit, and I think he's going to be legit. I mean, they paid him 325 million dollars without throwing a single pit. So uh, this is a very exciting signing for the Dodgers. Um, and I think a lot of eyes are going to be on him uh, in the in the coming years.
1: Yeah, for sure. And part of part of the exciting part about this deal is he is still just 25 years old, so you know, could potentially even get better. Um, so there's there's plenty of potential there. And yeah, the 80, 80 grade command definitely intrigues me because, I mean, that's just gonna, I feel like that just translates no matter what, like, you know, swing and miss it it can, it can get, you know, muddled from, from there to here, or, you know, having, you know, a, a high home run rate against or barrel rate against that can be muddled from Japan to MLB, but the command is probably just gonna stay and he's probably gonna you know not walk a lot of guys and just hit his spots consistently so that should be very interesting um and now the Dodgers have uh you know a very very long-term option at pitching which is which is very interesting um something anything more on the Yamamoto deal before we get into the glass now trade
0: no I mean it's it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool for the Dodgers can we talk about the whole like super team thing Because that's Grow, that's given a lot of discourse on on the internet and just right. throughout the baseball sphere so well, the Dodgers I mean they are you know they're spent they're outspending you know pretty much the entire league right now I mean they've spent like over 50 percent of all free agent dollars have been the Dodgers they've spent a billion dollars total on just Yamamoto and otani um and their current projected payroll for 2023 uh, even with the Otani uh you know, the, the deferrals where he's only making $2 million a year, uh, it's at $286 million. So they're about $50 million over the luxury tax right now. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think the the correct take here is don't be mad at the Dodgers, be mad at all the other owners that aren't willing to spend, like, a fraction of what they're spending.
1: Yeah, 100%, 100%. Um, you know, like, just like, and also you look at, you know, who the Dodgers are spending on. And the contracts they have, they're not completely they're not completely absurd. Like uh Anthony Rendon is making, I think, five million more a year than than Mookie Betts, which is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's making eight million more a year than Freddie Freeman. Uh are, are there I, like Freddie Freeman's only making, I don't know, like I think
0: twenty-seven one, million a year.
1: Yeah, he's making twenty-seven million a year. I think he's making maybe one more million a year than Paul Goldschmidt. Who you know, Freddie Freeman's a, a better first baseman than right now, at least. Uh, you know, like the, the Freddie Freeman, he's he's a top five player in the game right now, and he's only getting twenty seven million a year. Yamamoto, he's getting twenty seven million a year. That that's not that's not a crazy amount. Like, uh, you know, that's what yeah, that's what uh, Carlos Rodon got last off season. He got twenty seven million a year. So, you know, these aren't these aren't these crazy the the Shohei Otani deal is is the only crazy one and obviously Mm -hmm. that has its own litany to it because or that's that uh that own story to it because you know he he's only getting paid two million a year right now and uh, uh for the luxury tax purposes he's getting paid 46 a year which pretty much opened up that Yamamoto deal I think not only
0: that but no go ahead sorry
1: um no, yeah, that was pretty much what I was going to say.
0: Yeah, and not only that, but the Dodgers have a decent chunk of money coming off the books after next year. Manuel Margot is getting paid $10 million this year. Uh, he was recently acquired in the Tyler Glassnow trade that we'll get to in a second. Um, and he has a $12 million mutual option for next year, which is almost certainly going to be declined because literally no mutual option is ever taken. Uh, they're paying Jason Hayward $9 mil next year, and he's a free agent in 2025. Joe Kelly's making $9 million. He's a free agent in 2025. Miguel Rojas is making five million, and he's got a five million dollar club option in twenty twenty five, which may or may not be taken. Uh, Austin Barnes is making 3500000 mil. He's got a club option next year. Uh, Walker Buehler is projected to make eight million in arbitration, and he's a free agent next year. So like, there's like thirty million dollars coming off the books for the Dodgers next year just by you know people they're losing in free agency alone. And at this point, it really doesn't feel like there's much the Dodgers need to add like more. There's not much more that the Dodgers need to add. Like, their lineup is still very good. Even with that, even if you take away the guys that I just mentioned, they're still a World Series contender, right? I mean, they have still have Betts long-term. They have Freeman long-term. They have Otani long-term, of course, Yamamoto long-term, now long-term. Uh, it's And, you know, like, Gavin Lux is a guy that could step forward this year. They're still going to have Max Muncie, Will Smith for another year. James Altman just had a fantastic rookie season. Like, this is still a very deep team going beyond the guys that they're going to not have to worry about in their financial, uh, you know, payroll next year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It like, there's, there's definitely more to add here. And I'm trying to just look on spot track to see where the Dodgers, um, where the Dodgers like payroll compares to some of the highest in the league. I think, you know, I think the Mets are still have a higher, uh, payroll. The Yankees for 2024 have a, have higher, projected total tax allocations than the Dodgers do, which means like that accounts for the Dodgers paying the instead of paying Otani 2 million, according to the ta- tax allocations, they're paying him, I think, 46 million. $46 million yeah. Uh, you know, it's weird. I, it's weird that we have to put on like our our 20 like our uh early 2021 uh finance bro hats to understand this uh otani deal but it you know nonetheless the point is is the Yankees payroll is very, very similar to the Dodgers payroll. But however, we're looking at these two teams in entirely different lights. The Yankees are, you know, I think they're still a favorite to win the AL East, but it's not a slam dunk. As the Dodgers, they're a slam dunk to win the NL West and maybe even break the regular season wins record. And we're not talking about the Yankees that way. So it's just really a matter of putting, you know, not only spending the money, but spending it, you know, in a smart way.
0: Yeah. And that's what they've done. I mean, you look at their long-term deals, right? I mean, Mookie Betts, like that contract looks better and better as the years go on. Freddie Freeman, you know, it feels like he should be making two hundred million with the way he's performing because he's performed better with the Dodgers in these two years than he had than he has in pretty much any other year he had with the Braves, and he's only making hundred sixty two million total. Uh, Otani is you know he's Otani, and that contract is gonna pay itself off because of, of uh you know his off the field money and how much money he's going to bring into the Dodgers organization. Uh, and clearly, like, they say something with Yamamoto. I mean, you know, he got $325 million. The Dodgers have a history of spending wisely. And, uh, you know, I think they've not given us any reason to believe that this contract won't be very wise in the end.
1: Right, exactly. And I, I mean, this is, an, this is a top, like, a separate topic. But now, also with the Yamamoto signing, like, the Dodgers have basically cornered the Japanese market. And anyone from Japan is going to be, pretty much an automatic Dodgers fan because Ota, you know, two of the best players to come out of there are with the Dodgers right now. So like, that's just, there's, there's always potential with, you know, financially benefiting from that, just from Jersey sales and people trying to watch over in Japan and, you know, trying to watch Dodgers games and whatnot. So there's, there's just that factor as well, but, but yeah, like, yeah, they're just, they're just spending, the the Dodgers are spending in the right direction. they don't have a John Carlos Stanton contract right now. They don't have a Carlos Rodon contract right now. They don't even have like a a LeMay. I don't know if they have a LeMayhu contract. They don't have a
0: right LeMayhu contract. Yeah. I mean, go and branching out to other teams that don't have an Anthony Rendon contract. They don't have a, a Patrick Corbin contract. They don't have a Chris Sale contract. Yeah. Like all of them. And and you know, maybe, maybe Tyler Glass now was the closest thing we could see being that because of his injury history. But even then, it's only 135 million, right? Like there are yeah. much worse contracts out there.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. So yeah, and and that whole thing is is very much a, an injury thing. But yeah, with the with the idea of and how you sort of brought this up, the idea of a super team with with baseball, like yeah, I mean, if the like. It's it's happening and it's not like they're even spending more than every other team in baseball. I think the Mets are still spending more on their team than the Dodgers. So
0: the Mets just paid a hundred million dollars in luxury tax allocations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like the like I'm I'm sorry that you know that the Dodgers are just spending more wisely and they have some real good, you know, front office are, are very good with the front office and are able to maintain a top 10 farm system in baseball while um being very, very aggressive and improving their MLB team. You know, they've they've hacked it. And you know, the fact that they haven't, you know, won more World Series is is sort of just organizational bad luck. It's not bad luck on the player's side. Like they have they obviously haven't executed in the postseason, but just from an organizational perspective, they should just have more world series it just hasn't happened for whatever reason that's not you know as as we've said a thousand times like it's not andrew friedman's fault that mm-hmm. you know mookie betts and freddie freeman combined to go one for 21 in the lds like it's just he couldn't possibly just foresee that and yeah and not sign those mookie, guys.
0: mookie betts and freddie freeman both have beaten them in the playoffs previously before they signed with the dodgers or and before did. they were acquired by the dodgers like you know it's not it's not like they could have predicted it
1: exactly exactly um so yeah it, it'll be exciting to watch to watch the Dod- it will be funny seeing those you know like that late night on when you're on MLB TV and it's like there's nothing else to watch and that just the Dodgers are just at home yeah it's nine, no, it's nine to
0: one yeah it's it rocky <laughs> yeah yeah I know it's the bottom of the seventh every other game has ended already and it's, it's like well do I watch this nine to one Dodgers game or do I go to bed
1: yeah, it's like, uh, I guess uh, Yamamoto is about to pitch his seventh inning. So yeah. I guess I'll watch. I guess I'll watch this. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, Yamamoto was not the only Dodgers starting pitching addition as they went out and got Tyler Glass now at a bit more of a cost, uh, not financially, but through um, just, you know, organizational capital. You know, they had to give up Ryan Pepiot, who is a prized possession, um, probably wasn't easy to give him away. So good on the Rays for getting him. Uh, what did you think about this trade?
0: Yeah, I and mean, I'll start with Tyler Glass now. I mean, he's a guy that we've we're still kind of waiting to see what the big picture looks like because you know, in 2019, he looked really good from April to May, and then he got a season-ending injury. 2020, obviously, you know that all that all happened. 2021, he got Tommy John surgery, and he uh, he famously. Uh, you know, I guess I don't know if blamed is the right word, but he pointed to the uh the sticky substance ban midseason as to why he why his arm gave out. Um and that cost him a lot of twenty twenty one, also a lot of twenty twenty two. Um and then in twenty twenty three he also uh got hurt, but he did pitch 120 innings, uh, which is the most that he's pitched in a season, and he did it extremely well. I mean a two nine one fifth um in 120 innings pitched is excellent obviously where that ranks among pitchers with, uh, with that many innings last year.
1: Well, one, one thing I did, uh, one thing I did look up is his ranks since 2019. And obviously his innings filter is going to be a little bit lower than the normal, but out of 143 pitchers to throw 330 plus innings since 2019, his ERA ranks 11th, his FIP ranks second. His yep. FIP ranks second since 2019 out of, uh, 143 pitchers with 330 plus innings pitched. And then if you look, if you go to the stat cast end of things, his ex Woba ranks uh, seventh lowest out of 157 pitchers to throw 5,000 plus pitches since the start of 2019. So it's not really a matter of is glass now going to perform is, or it's, is he going to perform when he's on the mound? It's, is he going to be on the mound?
0: Yeah. Going, going even more into it out of the 102 pitchers in 2023, um, that had uh, 120 innings pitch. Glasnow had the third lowest fifth at 2.91. He also had uh, the, the second lowest Sierra, uh, which is a combination of strikeout rate minus walk rate and ground ball rate. Uh, the only person who did better was Spencer Strider who just put up you know a historic strikeout to walk season. He also has the second highest uh, K rate minus walk rate on that list. 25.8 uh, is the difference between his strikeout rate and his walk rate. He had the second highest strikeout rate in, in baseball, uh, behind Spencer Strider. Um, and in ground ball rate, he had a 51% ground ball rate, which is, uh, eighth on that same list. So there's not really an aspect of pitching that Tyler Glass now doesn't like dominate. Um, you know, he, he's been excellent pretty much all around. Um, the home run, you know, the home run rate is, is less than one per nine, um, which is not bad. You know, it's good enough for the, the third best fit minimum 120 innings. So Yeah. I mean, the Dodgers, you know, if you extrapolate Tyler Glasnow's workload over like 180 innings, he's a top 10 pitcher in baseball. I would even, you could even probably argue further if you really wanted to. Um, the trouble of course is, will he be able to extrapolate that workload over 180 innings?
1: Yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, it's, it's not the exact same, but it's, it's like a sort of like a, a Degrom light scenario, like we know how amazing Degrom is, but obviously he hasn't been able to consistently be on the mound since twenty twenty, and it's sort of the same thing with Tyler Glass now. Like you, you know he's going to perform. He's performed well, and I, I don't think that gets enough attention because of how prominent his health problems have been. But when he's out there, you, you know you're getting like he's got. I think like a thirty three percent strikeout rate consistently. Yeah. Uh it's it's pretty unbelievable. I'm trying to search where his um strikeout rate ranks, uh where his strikeout rate ranks since the start of twenty nineteen. Uh I'll just look at strikeouts per nine since twenty nineteen out of uh pitchers with three hundred thirty plus innings pitch, but it's yeah, he ranks second behind DeGrom um yep. in that in that category. Like he and he and he doesn't and he walks guys at a below average rate which is it's crazy so Mm -hmm. yeah he he performs it's just a matter of keeping him healthy and i don't know if the dodgers are going to improve him on that i know the rays have a horrible history with keeping pitchers healthy so maybe going to the dodgers is going to be you know very very helpful to glass now i certainly hope it is you know seems like he's a very fun pitcher to watch so yeah um Interested to see what this goes like. But to go back to the point of the Dodgers pitching staff, yeah, if Glass now stays healthy and Yamamoto is effective, that moves Bueller back to a three spot, uh, potentially. That moves Bobby Miller back to a four spot. This tremendously helps out the Dodgers rotation, which was obviously the biggest weakness last year.
0: Yeah, and I think the most encouraging thing with Glasnow is something we haven't even gone over yet. Chris, what organization is he leaving?
1: He's leaving the Tampa Bay Rays.
0: And and what is that what does that signify for him?
1: Probably, probably, better days of health ahead,
0: yeah. I mean, we've we've gone into uh, the history of race pitching with injuries and in, in, you know, the recent years. um you know, I mean, they lost what three pitchers, the to Tommy John surgery last year, Drew Rasmussen, uh, Shane McClanahan, yeah. and Jeffrey Springs. Why am I missing one? Was there another one? Did Rasmussen end up getting Tommy John because I know he was he got he got a sh- a shoulder surgery that was it might have been separate,
1: yeah. But I know McClanahan and Springs last year, you know, just historically glass now, obviously got, got Tommy John surgery in, in his tenure there. Just if you, if you go back, you know, a few years, it's like, yeah, Yanni Chirinos got Tommy John surgery, Andrew Kitts, uh, ch- uh, I think Chaz Rowe got a, a shoulder surgery. Um, yeah. Colin Pochet got Tommy John, Colin um, yeah there's a there's a whole YouTube short about it in our in our page goes back I think it was back in uh, June before even McClanahan got Tommy John surgery so you know like it's just you're you know you're when you're with the Rays you're signing up for a Tommy John surgery pretty much if you throw you know over 90 miles per hour um so Rich Rich Hill happened to avoid it but uh but yeah like it's it's tough out there in Tampa Bay so Yeah, as as I said, as you said, as you're saying or or you're implying, going to the Dodgers is probably, you know, or maybe the Rays in general.
0: It's it's, it's definitely a plus. It's not going to guarantee anything because injuries happen to every team. They just happen to happen to the Rays a lot more, especially with starting pitchers and, you know, pitchers with high velocity like Tyler Glass now. Um, But yeah, I mean, if there's any sort of reason that you're looking for for encouragement as to say, Hey, I really want to see this guy in a full season. We haven't really seen it yet. Look no further than he's leaving the Rays.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um like yeah, it, just try to it, even just anecdotally if you're listening, just try to think of uh the last time a Rays pitcher was just year in and year out delivering. You'd have to go back to Chris Archer. Chris Archer even like Price and Shields. Like Yeah. <laughs> that's what you have to think of before probably
0: I, yeah, it maybe Blake Snell, but he also had his injury problems, not like shoulder surgeries, but Yeah. Like, you know, he really only had, you know, he had his very good year in, in twenty eighteen. He struggled a bit in twenty nineteen. Twenty twenty was uh, you know, not a full season and then he got traded.
1: Yeah, and in twenty nineteen I think he had an IL stint, you know, just maybe 120 innings or yeah, something like
0: that. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the first year that I did an f league, and I drafted Blake Snell as my as my number one starting pitcher.
1: Yeah,
0: and I lived. I finished last that year. I did awful.
1: Yeah, anecdotally,
0: tough. I still have my team like upstairs, but I drafted Francisco Cervelli as my catcher. All right, <laughs> he had negative WAR that year um yeah literally every person i had underperformed. it was pretty awful i think i had i made you could tell i was just like, we're going off topic here but anecdotally i you know how inexperienced i was at f4 i drafted herman marquez
1: uh yeah Yeah,
0: the ro- rookie mistake
1: yep yeah it's a rookie mistake yeah um, you can't
0: you can't drop rocky's pitchers in f4 because uh getting f4 means giving up as little number of home runs as possible
1: yeah and it it was it was pre the existence of this show where i think we both just dove into things more it was it was
0: i was a senior in high school
1: yeah so i'm
0: about to start a full-time job so yeah out of college
1: yeah so you know we've 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 had we've had experience looking at what these things mean but yeah going back to um yeah the yeah tyler glass now he he, yeah he leaves the rays it's it should be a positive you know if if he if we saw an uptick in, in innings even if that meant just 150 innings not even qualifying mm-hmm. that is an amazing positive for the dodgers um i was gonna
0: say like how much yeah i mean he could he could probably make the f4 like front page leaderboard without qualifying if he really wanted to
1: yeah yeah for sure
0: honestly he might have done it this year he had 3.2 this year
1: just drop that innings qualifier to zero and see what's up um but yeah, being having a sub three FIP is is extremely hard. So, you know, if he's able to pretty much consistently do it, he has since the start of twenty nineteen. I think his FIP is two two eight nine or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, do we want to talk about the other end of the trade?
0: I was gonna say I did want to say some words about Ryan Pepio. Um, so man, I'll, I'll I mean some guys are worth mentioning. Manuel Margot is also in this trade. He's going from the uh. The race, the Dodgers as well. Um, and also Johnny DeLuca, um, a prospect who played uh kind of briefly for the Dodgers. I don't know if he ever made it to the majors or not. Yes, he did very briefly. Um, he played 24 games. Uh, you know, I haven't looked at his batted ball metrics, admittedly, but he had relatively league average rate stats on the surface. But I do want to talk about Pepeo because um of the Dodgers, like Young pitching prospects and young arms, whether it be Gavin Stone, Emmett Sheehan, uh, Bobby Miller, uh, you know, the, uh, Bobby Miller is obviously the most uh, has the most upside. But I think of like the kind of like relatively unknowns. Brian Pepe is probably my favorite one. Um, he had seven point six strikeouts per walk last year in forty two innings pitched. He had a two oh four ERA plus because he had a two fourteen ERA. Um unfortunately he did struggle quite a lot with home runs. He actually gave up more home runs than walks, uh which is pretty amazing over that workload even if it's just 42 innings, but um I I think the Rays are getting a good one here if they can keep him healthy.
1: Yeah, yeah, it it's it definitely seems like a trade that works for both teams here. Um it what I find kind of interesting is there was a crazy change in walk rate from 2022 to 2023. And I wonder if that's going to balance, like, I wonder if just Pepio having a 3% walk rate this yep. next year is going to be sustainable. Um, even though that's something, you know, walk rate and strikeout rate is something we usually see as sustainable, but having a 3% walk rate is, is hard to maintain unless you're, you know, uh, I don't even know. Yeah. Uh, George Kirby, but you know, he went from 16.9% walking 16.9% of the batters he faced in 2022 to, uh, walking 3% of the batters he faced in 2023. And that wasn't even just a change in sample size. He threw around, he threw within, uh, a hundred pitches, uh, of, you know, he threw even less pitches than he did in 2022. So I'm wondering how much he maintains that, but yeah, the the fact that he had, over a twenty percent strikeout minus walk rate last year is extremely encouraging. You know, obviously the two one four ERA sticks out. Three two three, three two three expected ERA really sticks out as well. So, you know, it it definitely seems like the Rays were not you know on the short end of the bargain here.
0: No, they they definitely weren't. Um, and you know, it's it's one year of Tyler Glass now for what like five years of Ryan Pepio. I would he imagine, afraid? yeah, after twenty twenty eight. So. Yeah, they have him. They have him for a while, and the Rays were never going to re-sign Tyler Glass. Now, um, the Dodgers got him on what could be a very bargain contract. It could be a rough contract if he doesn't stay healthy. It could be one of the best contracts in baseball if he performs to his potential. Five years, one hundred thirty-five million, I believe it was. Um, um, yeah, yeah, like that. That could end up looking like a bargain for for LA if, because I mean, he's like I said, Cy Young candidate, top ten pitcher in baseball. If he extrapolates that workload over a hundred eighty innings
1: yeah and and uh regarding yeah regarding glass now, i think i think yeah i think it was um i think the contract also bought out this year so it's mm-hmm. not even like it's a super long-term deal it's four extra no. years um
0: yeah so, so i mean that takes him that probably takes him to what to was like low 30s
1: um i would imagine so um i'm not sure what his age is i think he's what 29 right now
0: uh, he is going into age, okay. He's going into age 30. So it'll take him to age, what, 34 then?
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's not, that's not bad.
1: Yeah, no, not especially for a pitcher, um, where a lot of the time pitchers just do better in their thirties, um, which, you know, not the case with position players typically. And I definitely understand it from a Dodgers perspective because, you know, if cost independent, if I'm looking who do I want for the next 5 years or who can I rely on for the next 5 years Glasnow versus Pepiote I think I would lean Glasnow and obviously the Dodgers financially they're not really worrying about, you know, the 27 million 27 million a year that they're going to give Glasnow. And I think they're mostly concerned about a championship for 2024, which Glasnow is probably going to put them in a better direction for that than Pepiot would. So they're willing to maybe sacrifice a little bit of that long-term flexibility because they probably already have so much and you know they they really want to get this championship and they obviously saw what the what the what was preventing them from getting that last year and that was a lot a lot of starting pitching granted their offense didn't perform but starting pitching put them in a bad spot also so yeah um anything more on the uh on this dodgers raise deal
0: um i mean it's I think it's a pretty decent trade for both sides. You know, I like Pepio. I think Glass now has great potential. Um, You know, I do, I do think it makes the Rays a worse team in 2023, but that's obviously, you know, they're looking beyond 2023 for this trade, which I, you know, I understand from their perspective, you know, they weren't going to play, pay Glass now. Um, but, you know, I think Pepeo is a guy that people can get excited about if you're enough of a nerd.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, I yeah, I like this for the Rays as well. Like, you know, it, th- this is not a team that, that hands out nine figure contracts. It's, it's never been a thing except for, well, unfortunately, uh, well yeah. um, yeah. but they, they don't hand them out to pitchers. They don't hand them out to guys going into their thirties. So, um, so yeah, it just wasn't going to happen. And they get Ryan Pepiot out of it. Um, a pretty good prospect. So I think this could end up being a pretty even trade and I could see, you know, I could see even the Rays winning it as well. But nonetheless, the Dodgers have Glass now. Rays have Pepe and uh, some other guys. But uh, the another some you know with the booming noise that the Dodgers have made, the Giants made a little bit of a swift whistle uh, with a nine-figure deal of their own. They got Jung Hoo Lee, uh, this outfielder out of Korea, gave him six years, one hundred thirteen million dollars. And, you know, we don't really know what Jung Ho, Jung Ho Lee is going to do in the majors. I'm just very happy that the Giants have made a splash of any sort, considering where they're at just organizationally right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking for a while about how they need to make a big move. You know, they, they've whiffed on it a lot of times in the recent past with Correa, uh, which, I mean, they, they landed Correa. They just, you know, backed out of it because of his knee uh, with Judge with Otani, uh, with, you know, with a lot of guys. And they finally got a legit guy in Jung-Hoo Lee, a $113 million contract here. You know, there's not much we can really say in terms of predicting uh what's going to happen. But what I can tell you is that in almost 4,000 plate appearances in Japan, in Korea, excuse me, uh, he's slashed 340, 407, 491 for an 898 OPS. a uh, 340 average over 4,000 plate appearances is really, is really impressive. Uh, he's also had at least an 860 OPS in every year since 2018, which by the way, was his age 19 season. He's going into his age 25 season. So, you know, this deal is going to cover the rest of his 20s and into his early 30s, Um, which is definitely good for the Giants. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, it's, it's an interesting move and I'm excited to see how it works out for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and And most of all, like, with this thing, it's, it's not something that we can analyze that much along with the Yamamoto deal to be completely, completely honest, because we haven't seen them play in the majors. We don't have, you know, their stat cast data or their, or their batted ball profile and whatnot, but just from a Giants perspective, if I'm a Giants fan, I'm, I'm happy that they're going out and getting somebody, uh, considering, you know, they, they tried to get two different guys last year. Didn't, you know, didn't work out, didn't finalize on on either of them. And they have a lot of financial flexibility. They have a big hole in that outfield as well. You know, uh they're the outfield their outfield OPS last year was 682. That ranked third worst in baseball last year. So getting someone, getting some offense in that outfield is pretty necessary. And I also believe they are not having Jock, they don't have Jock Peterson on the roster right now because he is a free agent, right? Yes. So that you know fills that hole a little bit if they don't bring Jock Peterson back. And just like looking at the Giants organization, beyond 2025, the only players they have any dollars committed to are Logan Webb and Jung Hoo Lee. So I think this is yep. this this should be the start of something. I think they should go out and get more. I think you know, I'm not in support of investing a lot in Cody Bellinger, but I think the Giants should should look at that because. They have a lot of financial flexibility. They can, they they have the flexibility to have a potentially bad contract. So if Cody Bellinger is going to improve their team, that's something that they should, you know, go after because Jung Huli is not going to fix all their outfield offensive problems. They lost Jock Peterson. They're, they're probably going to lose Jock Peterson here. Uh, Mitch Haniger and Michael Conforto did not end up being the solutions that they needed them to be. So you know, look at more outfield. Uh, bats you know with with Cody Bellinger being the most notable of those guys so so yeah I think this should be the start of you know the start of some more splashes with the Giants no matter the position I don't even care if it's an outfielder
0: yeah going back into Lee specifically I think in terms of skill set he looks very similar to how Masataka Yoshida looked going into last year with the Red Sox this is a guy that hits very well for average and has you know can hit for power when he needs to. 23 home runs in 2022, only six last year, but he only played 86 games. Looks like he might have uh, been hurt for some of it. But uh, his best power season was in 2022 at age 23. So, you know, there's no reason to believe he can't uh, repeat that. Um, he also walks far more than he strikes out. He, he walked just last year alone a 12.7% walk rate and a 5.9% strikeout rate. I know that, you know, the, the approach is a little different in Korea, but and the pitching is certainly different. But... You know, that should translate to some degree uh, in in Major League Baseball. Um, You know, Fangraphs has him projected to have a 9.1% strikeout rate and an 8.2% walk rate. And interestingly enough, they also have him with a 3.4 wins above replacement on Fangraphs, which is the same as Yamamoto. Um, uh, We're still waiting for Zips to come out, I believe, unless they already have with those teams specifically. Because I know that they have released certain team projections.
1: Yeah, what's also intriguing me is in these Fangraphs projections they uh, predict him to have a positive defensive impact uh to like two defensive runs above average so that you know provides uh that provides a lot of you know if that that provides a lot there because if he doesn't end up being a great bat at least he's not taking away from your defensive um you know your your defensive abilities as well like Masataki Yoshida does because Yeah, when like if we're, you know, comparing him to Masataki Yoshida, if Yoshida's not hitting, he is a very negative uh, impact for whatever team you're playing with, because, you know, he doesn't, you know, obviously playing left field, you don't bring a lot of value in general, but also, you know, not the greatest range, not the greatest arm, whereas Lee, you know, if he can contribute positively on defense, uh, that definitely changes things and makes makes this a little more valuable for the Giants
0: yeah he does um yeah I mean I think it's you know I mean I'm glad the Giants fans have something to be excited about you know he did look really good in Korea over the last few years and again he's only 25 so I mean you're getting him for theoretically his prime years in terms of his age I mean he started playing professionally in Korea at age 18 and he tore it up right from there so um you know it's it's an exciting signing and I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens
1: yeah it is intriguing i i'm also looking a little closer uh and is so last year he didn't have what looked like a full season he played 86 games in his last full season he had a 175 weighted runs created plus in korea um so it just that just means he was 75 percent above the average kbo player so he's showing potential uh, to be just really really good
0: remember when the kbo was like the biggest thing in baseball
1: i i i also remember may of 2020
0: yep what a time
1: yeah that was that was pretty huge um
0: they were putting the kbo on espn because there was literally nothing else on and i mean nothing else on
1: no yeah definitely not people are just waiting for the next uh freaking jordan documentary episode to happen yeah
0: or the mariners documentary
1: yeah yeah right, whichever
0: exactly. whichever you were
1: yeah whatever 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 taste you had mm-hmm. but but yeah this this lease signing is no matter what the results of it are, I'm happy for the Giants that they went out and did this because, yeah, they're a big market team, but they don't really have a big market payroll right now uh they obviously, you know, as I said, they don't have any dollars committed uh beyond twenty twenty five to players not named jung hu lee or logan webb like that's that's just the next two years so um they could they could get more guys in the books so looking going forward even, to it there.
0: yeah going even further they've also been fighting a lot of narratives about san francisco in general you know people are forming narratives that you know san fran is like very crime ridden it's not a good city to live in and that no one wants to play there and taxes are high in california and like you know, I'm not here to speak on whether that's true or not. I've never been to San Francisco. I, the most west I've ever been is Chicago. So I can't speak to any of that, Chris. I know you've been there. But, you know, I mean, like, it's got to be very frustrating for Giants fans, for the organization to have to deal with that, um, regardless of what the accuracy of it is. Um, but, you know, it's got to feel good to, like, have someone to say they wanted to be here, they're happy to be here, they're excited.
1: Yeah, hundred percent, a hundred percent, and you know, like, even with like, I'm not. It's not going to be a discussion about those narratives, but like, yeah, you know, Cor- that Korea agreed to go there for
0: literally yes, Korea was Korea was ready to be there for what like 12 13 years. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And regarding taxes, like people are people are lining up to go to the Dodgers, so I don't think it's that. You know, that's yeah. the same state. Yep. And then I don't know as as a city, obviously it has its own reputation but also if you're a multi-millionaire in the city you're not going to be in those areas probably that are bad typically i think that's true for every city Um, i was
0: just saying like guess guess you know like which team uh has like made a couple good for Asian signings this offseason the tigers like talk about a city that has a reputation
1: yeah like (laughs) like you know look at even even the Cubs or especially the White Sox if they if the White Sox make free agent signings like
0: Martin Maldonado,
1: yeah. <laughs> but you know Yasmani Grandal back in back in the day when they yeah. signed to him, like I, I don't think you know you, you live you know you 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 live yeah. in the neighborhood you live in and that's kind of what it is. Um, yeah, I
0: think I don't know, and it's annoying because those narratives would never have existed if if the, Gi- the the Giants didn't back out of the Correa deal
1: yeah exactly
0: like they they never would have formed in any sort of way people try to frame it as oh Correa didn't want to go to the giant no Correa was ready to be introduced as a giant actually
1: right and I'm not sure the city is that much worse than it was when they were signing like Cueto and Matt Cain and uh <laughs> and Barry Zito and whatnot yeah. like I don't think that much has transpired in the last 10 years to change that but who knows and also
0: yeah. Also, there's so many like former Giants players that have come out and being like, "No, I love it." Like Hunter Pence, uh, like you know, very inconspicuously made an Instagram post being like, "On a walk in my favorite city, San Francisco. I love it here." Right. Like right, you know, yeah. clearly very intentional, but like, you know, like I mean, Barry Bonds still lives there. I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah, exactly. If you, it's, it's pretty much like any city where if you're just in the. Yeah if you're in the right areas of it, you're going to have a fairly say, pleasant every city's, time.
0: Every city is going to have its issues. Like right. it's weird to just single one out and be like, this is the one that no one wants to play in.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, But yeah. Good for the giants to get, you know, a long-term contract on their books, especially one where they had to outbid, you know, they have Logan Webb on a, on a five-year contract, but that was just an extension um, this one is you know there are probably multiple bidders for if anything that's better because
0: he wanted to stay in san francisco
1: yeah that's true that's true
0: right he could have he could have tested the open market if he really wanted to
1: yeah lee lee could end up hating it there who knows yeah <laughs> but,
0: as I say, Lee's never lived there before exactly you know who has logan webb yep for multiple yep. years before he signed that extension
1: exactly exactly um so anyway uh good for the giants there uh now on to the boston red sox who have made a couple of moves um sort of bittersweet some some things are just moving in the right direction some things moving in the wrong direction i'm I'm getting very mixed feelings on on the hometown team here with the red sox
0: yeah I that's, uh, a, that's one way to put it
1: yeah it's it's pretty interesting what do we want to get into first with the red sox
0: I mean we could talk about the Giolito signing, you know. I think it's I think it's a good signing, assuming that there's more to come. But if this is the big move, it's very frustrating. You know, and I think a lot of Red Sox fans get the feeling of like I I'll, I'll throw myself into the mix here of being guilty of this, but like immediately my thought was like, Oh gosh, this is going to be the big move, move that they trot out on, you know, on OPE, where they're like, Guys, we got Liz Giolito who had a who has a four eight nine ERA over the last two seasons, and that's our big offseason addition we're paying him basically the qualifying offer for two years now and uh he has the uh, opt out so he can decide if we're stuck with him next year or not or if he's going to leave to a higher bidder like it's you know it, it it's you know obviously that's working off the assumption that they're not doing anything else which is like not the assumption you need to go off of right now um you know if it's if it's one of many acquisitions then i think it's it's a good um you know it's an interesting test subject for the you know Craig Reslow, Reslow Andrew Bailey pitching lab, uh. And if if it's the only one, then it's uh, it's taking a big risk.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and there's a lot a lot of layers to go into the Red Sox and what their off season could potentially look like because a lot of questions could just be answered. You know when it comes <clears throat> opening day and rosters are pretty much finalized and you know we know. Where the team's at. I think a lot of questions will be answered on how much of the Red Sox failures over the past few years have been ownership's fault and how much have been front office's fault, because it's just looking more and more like ownership is really putting the constraints on the front office. Uh, and I think there was a big report that Chris Cotillo put out like this morning that yep. described what their budgets look like. And there was, you know, he said, and I don't know what. I don't know how much validity there is because he just said, according to one baseball source that they told a free agent that they need to shed even more payroll to uh, pursue them, which really, really sucks. Um, But going into Giolito, I think the, I think the most positive takeaway from this is he's thrown at least 160 innings in every full year since 2018. And he's only one of six pitchers to do that. Um, I've, I looked it up last night, so I forgot the full list, but I know like Garrett Cole, Sandy Alcantara and Jose Barrios is on that list. I think Lance, maybe Lance Lynn, or no, not, not definitely not. Definitely not Lance but Lucas Giolito is, is one of six pitchers to have that type of consistent workload, like not miss it, with you know, not miss with injuries. And even in 2020, he averaged, I think six innings per start and made every start. Um, so like he's, he's going to be there. He's going to make his starts. Hope you know, hopefully that doesn't discontinue with the Red Sox. So that's something the Red Sox definitely need is, is some innings. They like, they didn't really get that last year from really anybody. Uh, They ran into some injury troubles. They just had some just roster fluctuation guys coming up, guys going down and just a a random plethora of guys just making starts for them. So Gialito is going to be there, whether or not he's going to give quality pitching. That's the, that's the question mark. Um, what I'm optimistic about is even in the past two years where he struggled, he's had like a 16% strikeout minus walk rate each of those years. So he's getting the, he's getting the swing and miss. He has an above average strikeout rate. He's not walking at guys at a crazy rate. um, You know, still sub 10% in the walk rate column. Um, It's just a matter of hard contact, uh, too many fly balls, too many barrels just going out of the ballpark. And yeah, there's, that seems a little bit more fixable than if he was striking out less than 20% of batters he was facing. Um, So there's, there's a little bit of optimism, but obviously, as you said, you don't want this to be the big thing from the Red Sox.
0: I think the good thing about this signing is that, you know, for Andrew Bailey and for Craig Breslow, it's easy to see what needs to be fixed in terms of his output. It's that he's giving up too many fly balls, too many home runs, and it might not play at Fenway the way that it did at other ballparks. Uh, He gave up 40 home runs, 41 home runs last year. Which was the most in Major League Baseball, but according to Statcast, only twenty nine of them would have been out at Fenway, um, which was the lowest of any ballpark. I don't know how much validity there is to that because I looked at a spray chart and I was assuming that like most of them went to like, you know, either like right center field where the triangle would be or like deep right field where that weird corner is, and it didn't really look like that to be honest. In fact, there were a lot of fly balls that looked like they would have gone over the monster that weren't out, um. So I don't right. know how much validity there is to that. You know, I know that it's stat cast and it, you know, it tells you what it tells you. It doesn't have agendas or anything. So, you know, it probably is accurate to some degree. Um, and you know, you could use that as encouragement. Um, but ultimately, you know, the the, the strikeout the walk rates are there, the talent is there. It's all about containing the uh the fly ball. And to be honest, Lucas Giolito has always kind of been a home run pitcher, even in the years where he was good. Uh, from 2019 to 2021, for example, though, that was kind of his peak years, you know, 470, 27 innings pitch in those three years, a three forty seven ERA. But even then he gave up 1.2 home runs per nine, which is above the league average. So, you know, you kind of have to expect that Lucas Giolito is going to give up a lot of home runs, whether he's good or not. It's, you know, I think really what it comes down to is that he limits it to like, not crazy over the average. And that he also is efficient when he's keeping the ball in the yard. You know, if he's not giving up a lot of line drives, a lot of hard contact that stays in the park, that goes for extra base hits. Um, the green monster might not be the most encouraging thing to see out there for a guy like him, but um, there's definitely some sort of hope that the Red Sox can fix him.
1: Yeah, there there definitely is. And <clears throat> when we were making MLB, the, the MLB free agent predictions, uh, we described the Lucas, whoever was going to sign Giolito was going to be an, I can fix him deal. You know, you know, you're not, you're not signing him for 19 million a years for, for 19 million a year, because of what he's done in the past two years, you're doing it because of the potential that he has considering, you know, what, what we knew, what, what we knew his capabilities were in his mid twenties, uh, before he, you know, his performance, uh, regressed a little bit, uh, toward these last couple of years uh yeah. it seems like he's had a, a good bit of um trouble with his fastball um you know last uh last year hitters slugged 546 off his four seamer um that's probably one of the worst in in baseball and that's that's his most used pitch you know he used it over 40 percent of the time uh so i'm wondering you know if the if the pitching lab is going to either they're going to improve that fastball or, or you know, tell him to use them to, to tell them to use that pitch less. Um, yeah, I think it's just the first test of what this potential new pitching development program is with the Red Sox. You know, are they going to be able to get him back to his peak to his peak years? Because, you know, I think there's question marks with what the White Sox development, you know, player development in general looks like. Um, you know, he we went to the angels. He didn't look great there. Uh, you know, we went to the guardians who have a good, uh, pitching development system, but he was he was there for a month. So I don't think there really can yeah. be that much concluded from there. So who knows if the Red Sox have a, a new modern way of going about things with Craig Breslow and Andrew yeah. Bailey, you know, working together, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of question marks here.
0: I also think a lot of people, are going to look at his 2023 uh, season through the lens of his Angels and Guardians days more than the White Sox days, weirdly enough, because, you know, he was a big piece that went over to the Angels at the trade deadline. He was the symbol of, okay, the Angels are going for it in the last few months of having Otani before his free agency. They're trading two of their top three prospects to get this guy, and then he goes out and, you know, puts up a 689 ERA, gets put on waivers, and then goes to Cleveland and puts up a 704 ERA. So, you know, it's... A lot of people are going to look at it that way, and you know he wasn't that awful with the White Sox. You know he had a three seven nine ERA in his first twenty one starts. A four forty three FIP is not fantastic. Definitely not nineteen million a year worthy, but uh, you know there that's a little something to go off of that can be a little encouraging.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure, and yeah, um, you know if it's I think if the. If this was 20 2018, and I we didn't have these perceptions of what ownership was like, we'd we'd sign it off and be like, okay, you know, this is a deal we can do. But if the Red Sox are budgeting the way they are and you know they're trying to spend smartly, this is something I, I raise my eyebrows at a little bit because I think there there's just better value to be had. Like, you know, Ken Tamayeda, although he hasn't had the innings workload. He only got 12 million he 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 got a two-year 24 million dollar deal and I think there's an argument that he's a better option right now than than Lucas Giolito on an inning per inning basis um yeah. but Giolito' is going to give that workload at least so at least at least the Red Sox have that um moving on to or anything more on the G- Giolito signing.
0: Yeah, I mean, you kind of said it before, but the one thing that you know he can give you is innings, and that is something that the Red Sox need. You know, their, their pitching staff in 2023 was kind of filled with guys that couldn't really face the order a third time, you know, whether it be Tanner Houck, whether it be Nick Pavetta, uh, you know, and some other guys. Like, even Lucas Trulito be- can go out there and give you a hundred. Yeah, Bayo. Like, guys that can give you, you know, Lucas Trulito can give you 160 innings. He can qualify for the ERA title, even if he has a five ERA.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, he is eighth in innings, eighth in innings since 2018. Um, that might even increase uh, from 2019, but I could be wrong. But uh, looking here, seventh in innings since 2019, Lucas Giolito is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's he gives overall just workload. And, yeah, obviously, as you said, that's what the Red Sox need. But moving on from Giolito, as the Red Sox added to the rotation, they immediately also subtracted from the rotation, which you know could end up being a a positive because they it, it was a trade. Um, but they traded Chris Sale, you know, uh, the longest tenured member of the roster, I believe. Um, you know, at the time of the trade, had been there since 2017, um, but they traded him a year left on his contract. Uh, to the Atlanta Braves for Vaughn Grissom straight up. And the Red Sox are eating $17 million of the uh, $27.5 million owed to Chris Sale in 2024. Uh, what did you, well, you know, obviously kind of a shocking move, just unexpected. Uh, what was your reaction to this?
0: Um, Chris Sale, I mean, fun fact about Chris Sale. He uh, he is the all-time leader in strikeouts per nine, which is a, a very close title between him and a few others. Uh, at 11.1 right now but anyway um Chris Sale is such a weird player in Red Sox history because he is one of the best trades the franchise has ever made but he also got one of the worst contracts the franchise has ever given out um you know not only you know he was extended uh, after the 2019 season but the extension didn't start until 2020 where he unfortunately uh, got Tommy John surgery and overall in those four years he pitched 151 innings 102 of those were in 2023, uh, had a, a 393 ERA, a 117 ERA plus, um, which is, you know, decent numbers, but not quite the guy that they were hoping for. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but, you know, nonetheless, an ace of the team for many years, a guy that closed out a World Series, a guy that was a part of a trade that they won, I would say, with the White Sox. I mean, you know, Johan Moncada is still there and he looks good and uh, Kopech is still there and still has potential, but... You know, the Red Sox got exactly what they were hoping for out of Chris Sale between the years of 2016 and 2018. Um, so it is uh, an interesting legacy he leaves behind. But, you know, I think a lot of Red Sox fans will have very fond memories of of watching him on the mound during the years where he was really on his on his top game.
1: Yeah, 100%. You know, anytime you win a World Series with a team and are one of the main pieces of that World Series championship, you're going to be remembered uh, very fondly. And you know, like it's not not really his fault that, uh, you know the owners wanted to give him 145 million dollars. Like, yeah, you, you you take that. Um, it's a good good deal for him. You know, got the got the good end of the bargain there. But um, if you yeah, judging the trade strictly, like they signed or they, or they traded for sale, um, with three years of control left, which is why that haul was was so big for him. You know, two top ten prospects. But in those three years where, um, where he had where he had control was from 2017 to 2019, and he got uh, he had a 3.08 ERA and 2.57 FIP, and averaged uh, 173 innings per season in those three years, and had 14 and a half BWAR as well. So I think that out combines you know what Moncada and and Kopech have delivered to the White Sox. So yeah, I mean a, a very very good trade for the Red Sox. And you know the the contract, it's gonna be its its legacy is gonna be really weird because everyone was really happy when it was signed, but no one knew the org, no one knew the exact direction the organization was gonna go in. You know, literally like six months later when they decided, hey, we're gonna cut payroll, and if that was the if that was the direction they were gonna go in, I think the red, I think fans would be a little more hesitant on celebrating this this sale contract because you know it ended up in the trading of Mookie Betts and, you know, obviously the Red Sox fans would have wanted the Red Sox to invest in Mookie Betts more than they would have wanted uh, Chris Sale. But nonetheless, here we are in this situation, but yeah, Sale's legacy is going to be positive. Um, The Braves, I think this is going to be an interesting move for the Braves. Like Chris Sale still has, has shown that potential, had a sub four FIP last year. Um, And I, and the Braves didn't really have any place for Vaughn Grissom. So I feel like this really works out for the Braves more than anybody because the Red Sox still could use some starting pitching and we don't really know what Vaughn Grissom is going to look like.
0: Yeah I mean I think the Braves you know in terms of like value to their own team I feel like the Braves are definitely gaining more than they're losing but you know the Red Sox and Braves have very different needs right now. The Red Sox do need starting pitching but they also need another middle infielder uh, in their everyday lineup and Vaughn Grissom is in all likelihood, going to be the everyday second baseman for the Red Sox, then he's another interesting project. He's a 23-year-old who, you know, has looked interesting at times, but hasn't quite gotten the playing time. Um, You know, I need to see the exit velocity numbers go up, definitely. He was at, least at like 85 miles an hour for his career. If we can get that up to like 88, 89, um, then I think uh, there's a lot of potential in the Red Sox hands with this signing, for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I almost I almost view this trade as Almost mostly just salary relief for the Red Sox. Yeah. I
0: mean, they're shedding $17 million of Chris Sale's salary for a year.
1: Um, I think they're shedding 10 and a half. I think they're eating the 17 million.
0: Ah, uh, and, and they're
1: shedding 10 and a half million. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to use that for. Um, I made the joke in our group chat yesterday. That it's going to be used for luxury, luxury suite renovations. And yeah. that could actually be pretty realistic. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, Vaughn Grissom, it's it's a he's a project. Um he's what 24 right now, 23? Uh 23. 23. So, you know, he's still he's still working along. He showed a great potential in 2022, um, kind of struggled last year in the majors, but had great road triple A numbers, which Red Sox stats on Twitter pointed out. Uh 998, 999 on nine ninety nine OPS on the road in triple A. Um, because apparently his, you know his home well, triple Arden A ball is weird. It's, it's, it's weird. Yeah. It's, it's a little weird for whatever reason, hmm. but um, I'm concerned about his defensive numbers. Uh, he's brought negative defensive value at the major league level, according to stat cast. So I don't love that. Um, especially considering like, you know, I think the, whatever rotating cast for the Red Sox at that position last year, they provided at least like neutral defense, like Pablo Reyes, I think was neutral d- defensively. Even Arroyo at the second base position, I think was neutral defensively. Um and who else do they have? Who else do they have over there?
0: Um uh dude, they had everyone. They had so it's, been a, it's been a rotating door at second base since since Dustin Pedroya got hurt in 2017, really.
1: Yes, yes. Uh,
0: Brock Holt, Eduardo Nunez.
1: Yeah, exactly. Rob
0: Ref Snyder. <laughs>
1: right right
0: (laughs) i guess it's more of an outfielder but still
1: yeah it's been it's been quite the rotating cast as you said um but but yeah like hopefully this turns out positively for the red sox roster but i think a lot of it is 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 salary relief here and i hope it gets used for a bigger free agent god please help I, i i want that to happen but I'm I'm having my doubts for many many reasons. Yeah, so am I? Um, but yeah the the Braves I think yeah there's there were there were some holes to fill in that rotation. Uh, when sales healthy, he's still like at worst an average pitcher. So, and he and he provides a lot of strikeouts even with his fastball velocity going down. Um, he has good strikeout to walk numbers. And with a good defense behind him, I think there's a lot that is possible.
0: Yeah. No, I think this is a very exciting move for the Braves. Um, I think it's an understandable move for the Red Sox. Um, you know, I think there's there's reason to, to be happy about this trade for either side.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, there's potential with Grissom there. Um, and yeah, I'll I'll be curious to see how many plate appearances he gets. I, you know, I. I I kind of liked what I saw with Pablo Reyes at the second base position, to be honest. And I might be just more optimistic about Reyes for the 2024 season. But in terms of, you know, the next the long, five the years, future, yeah. Grissom could be a potential guy to fill in there. But even then, like you got York, York in the, in this, in the system. However, not to contradict every point I make, but, um, something that Chris Cotillo made a good point with is it just gives the Red Sox more flexibility because now they have more trade options. Um, more, you know, they could dish off Grissom eventually, or they could dish off Nick York eventually, who's a, you know, a high prospect at the second base position for the Red Sox. So yeah, there's, um, it's still so many question marks with this organization right now.
0: Yeah, that that's what it is.
1: Yep, exactly. Exactly. Well, all in all, I hope everyone had a great 2023. And if not, I hope you have a better 2024. Um, so that's, I think that's the message of this podcast here.
0: Yeah, no, it was a very fun season, a very fun year for both of us. Chris and I uh, both graduated college this year. We both uh, got our first full-time jobs in, uh, in journalism this year. Uh, podcast isn't going anywhere. I am actually moving tomorrow Uh to uh Binghamton New York a couple hours away from me Chris is in Virginia right now uh we're still gonna do the same stuff in 2024 all remote most likely um and yeah it's gonna be another fun season of baseball I'm very excited to to see the next season of Major League Baseball
1: yes it it will be exciting this Dodgers team should be fun to to seek out and whatnot um I'm trying to trying to count up the numbers for um episodes this year we put out, um, our first one was, t- uh, 224. This is 288 or at least we're recording. Um, we're recording in 2023. So that makes it for 65 episodes for 2023. So shout out, uh, shout out to that, um, yeah. shout out to foolish Bailey for being a, a, guest this year, Mark Simon, once again, joining us, uh, Mike Petriello and Chris Catillo for joining the pod, uh, this year, um, adding to a, a decorated, a, a little bit of a decorated cast of guests that we've had on, on ARR, hope, mm-hmm. hoping to add more to it on, in 2024. And yeah, um, yeah, good stuff. Good good year, good year here for, for ARR. Definitely. Um, And yeah, we hope you enjoyed this one. If you were listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, as always, go check out the YouTube channel. It is called above replacement radio check out the playlist where you can see all of the guest interviews um in chronological order too you want to see our first one want to see uh want to see the Jeff Passen interview from over 3 years ago now go yep. check out that one it was it still still stands the test of time it's still a very good uh very good interview to listen to um go back and check out the Chris Rose one from now over 2 years ago yeah good stuff all over there with the guest interviews uh, along with that, uh, check out our social medias. Follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Deonta. follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran. and follow the show Instagram at above replacement radio for all the show needs. We hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you next time where we will be talking all the happenings in major league baseball along with the hall of fame. Uh, yes. Once again, we will see you then. This conversation... This conversation...
0: Is over. Is over.